0: So we've been looking at how Jesus Christ should be Lord of all. That's been our series. And the areas that we've looked at include Jesus being Lord of our attitudes, being Lord of our relationships, and then last week uh, on Easter, we saw how he should be Lord over our lives. And so far, we've looked at these three different areas uh, where Jesus should be Lord, and then today, we're getting to about the halfway point of our series, Today we're going to see how Jesus should be Lord of our priorities. Pastor Tony Evans tells the story of a fairly wealthy man who one day was driving his BMW and he had an accident, and it was a bad accident. The car was totaled. Policeman came to the scene and he got the man out of his car, and as the man came to he said, oh my BMW, oh my BMW, and I can relate to this, I I had a green Grand Prix that was totaled once, and that was my baby, and I was sad, I cried that day. It was terrible. I was about the same way, although I was much angrier. But anyway, that wasn't this guy. He had a BMW. It was much better. Uh, policeman said, "Sir, I'm sorry, but you don't have time to worry about your BMW. It's just a car. We've got to rush you to the hospital because your arm has been severed at the elbow." And the wealthy man said, "Oh, my Rolex, my Rolex." So let's talk about priorities. Priorities are when we uh, give importance to something over something else. And we all set priorities in our lives. There are things that are far more important to us than others. For example, I got a text from my friend Austin, who's over here today. Um, This week, as I was working on this sermon, and Many of you know Austin. Uh, he's one of the elders here at the church. He'd been here for a long time. He and his family. And, and uh, he teaches special ed over at Edgewood High School. And, well, I'm just going to read you the text he sent me. He said, did I take my basic skills class to the gym so I could get some shots up for the first time in two years before the faculty versus seniors basketball game on Friday? Yep. Yes, he did. Priorities. Should he teach, educate these children, or get some practice in? Did you win? Apparently, he needed to get more practice in. (laughs) And, And he's old, so he's starting to get hurt now. Setting priorities, it happens all the time in all the different areas in our lives, whether it involves family, work, uh, friendships, hobbies, church, whatever. And while we prioritize the things in each of these areas, we also prioritize those areas themselves, like family comes first, and then work, and friendships, and so on, or however you organize those you ever thought about how you make those priorities? I used to think about this, especially when I was working in the corporate world. I would try and prioritize how my day would go. Um, there was always the saying that I heard it's like eat, eat the frog first. I'm like, why would you want to eat a frog? But that's apparently how that saying would go. You want to get the, get the biggest thing out of the way and then keep going. But I I would study how to do this. I would read up on how to do this. And uh, I came across this thing called the Eisenhower Matrix. And I think it was developed by Stephen Covey based on something that former president Dwight Eisenhower said in a speech. And it's just a really simple grid. Here's a picture of it um, up here. And basically what you do is you divide the vertical columns as urgent and not urgent. And then the horizontal rows as important and not important. And then you can set your priorities based on that. So if your task was urgent and important, then that took precedence. You want to do that task. And if it was important but not urgent, you would schedule a time to do it. If it was urgent but not important, you'd give it to somebody else. You'd delegate it to somebody else to do. And then finally, if it wasn't urgent or important, then it really wasn't worth doing. And so you'd just take that off your to-do list. And I think that's effective, and it's all well and good for the task lists at work. But what about the rest of our lives? If Jesus is Lord of all, he really needs to be Lord of our priorities as well. And as with most things, there, there isn't necessarily a nice fancy formula that we're going to give you to set your priorities. Uh, well, I mean, it's not exactly true. There, there, there might be a formula, but it, it's even more simple than Eisenhower's. To discover this, we need to take a look at a pretty short story that's told in Luke's gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to open them to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And we'll also look at something that Jesus says a little bit later in uh, Luke's gospel as well. Uh, and as we study these this morning, I think that we'll find a fairly simple but powerful way to look at priorities and, and making priorities in our lives. But first, let's just read the first couple of verses here. Kind of get a lay of the land for this passage and um, that we're going to be looking at this morning. In Luke 10:38, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Jesus and his disciples were headed to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. We saw this a few weeks ago um, when Rick started this series. And this is also when he was going to be arrested, when he was crucified. And in Luke's biography of Jesus, he really has three parts to it. There's the introduction, the, the start of Jesus' ministry section. Then there's the center section where he's uh, traveling to Jerusalem. And then you have the last section, which is basically the final week of Jesus' life, including his, crucifixion and resurrection. And we're in this middle part here where he and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem. And as they're traveling, they stop at a village where this woman named Martha and her sister Mary live. And they opened up their home to him. So in terms of where this happens in the narrative, it comes right after the story of the good Samaritan that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And in that sermon, we we talked about Jesus being lord over our relationships. And this is important to remember, is that it's going to factor, that this story is going to factor into something a little bit later. So who are Mary and Martha? Well, as the text states, they're sisters, and they live in a village where Jesus was traveling through. In John's Gospel, we get a little bit more detail in this. In John chapter 11, we learn that the village where they lived was called Bethany. Bethany is just, uh, it was located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, which is just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem. And there are ruins of the ancient city there now that they've discovered. The area is called, today it's called El Azariah, which means the place of Lazarus. And that's important too, because Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. And this is the same Lazarus who, as described in John 11, became sick and died, only to be raised back to life by Jesus four days later. The timeline is somewhat difficult to kind of figure out between the different Gospels here, but the raising of Lazarus from the dead likely happened a little bit after the account that we're reading from today. And in the ruins of the village that have been discovered, there's a church that was built over what is traditionally held as the tomb of Lazarus, where um, this miracle happened. And this church was, um, it's an ancient church. It was mentioned at least by historians who were in the fourth century. So it's, we have uh, historical evidence at least close to when it happened, uh, three centuries after it. But so, we know by reading the account in John as well as Luke that Jesus cared for and he knew these people very well. And he performed one of his most amazing miracles in bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And there's another account as well in John 12 where Jesus is anointed with an expensive perfume by Mary. And John kind of undersells when he says it's an expensive perfume. Uh, because according to Judas Iscariot, who was there, it was worth 300 denarii. Which, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, denarii, a, a denarius was worth one day's wage. And so 300 would have been worth 300 days worth of wages. And, and one thing that's interesting about this passage in John 12 is that while Mary is anointing Jesus, Martha is preparing a meal and serving the dinner that is being given in Jesus' honor. And it shows us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today with these women and how they've set their priorities. And so in the next part of our passage in Luke, we're going to see the two women and how they respond to Jesus as he is at their home. Now remember, Mary is at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. But in verse 40, it says, but, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, how many of us, when we know that somebody's coming over or we're hosting something like a dinner or a small group, that's the day we decide we need to clean everything in our house? Or at least the public-facing things, you know, where, where people are going to go? Um, yeah i I mean i've done this too uh, but you and you usually know when you go over to somebody's house that's done this because you can see where they vacuumed on the floor there's that lemony pine salt scent just floating in the air Um, you can take the white glove treatment go around you're not going to find a speck of dust anywhere unless you open up the bedroom and then you're going to find where they shoved everything right maybe that's just me i don't know but why do we do this? Just because people are coming over, and we want to present nicely, right? We, we, want to sh- we want to show, like, we are a calm, collected, organized house, even though that might not be the case all the time. And personally, I love it when I'm close enough with people that, like, they don't care anymore. They're just like, Nick, come over. The place is a wreck. Deal with it. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, you don't see my room. It's clean. But anyway, they don't apologize, and they don't have to. But for those of us that do this, how much would you clean your house if Jesus was coming over for dinner? Like instead of maybe just the visible rooms, like the living room, the kitchen, the bathroom, like you're going to clean the whole house, right? Because you're going to be sitting there going, "He knows. He's Jesus. I got to get it all clean." And I think if we do that, if we clean our house, if we know that somebody's coming over, then we can probably relate pretty well to Martha here. Um, She had invited the teacher, the man who was saying and doing some pretty amazing things over to her house. And Martha, she's distracted by all the preparations that had to be done for Jesus' arrival. And remember, it probably wasn't necessarily just Jesus. I mean, the text doesn't say this, but he was traveling with people. And so if he's coming, there's likely a group coming with him. You've got the 12 disciples, maybe a few more. And it's pretty easy to see how she could have been distracted by all of this. And, and Martha, as she's getting ready, she's doing all of these preparations, all this work, and she looks over and she sees her sister just sitting there, listening to Jesus teach. And in that culture at the time, the kind of preparation, it would have been pretty extensive. And as one commentator writes, you know, when pressure increases, patience decreases. Which, I play golf, so I know this. (laughs) Um, and, And I'm sure we can relate to Martha again, thinking, you know, if my sister would just help me, if I didn't have to do all this work by myself, we could get this done quicker, we could do it better. And so she decides to say something. But does she go to Mary to say something? No. She goes to Jesus. It's like when your brother goes to your parent, you know, instead of coming to you for something, like trying to get you in trouble. I don't know. But she's just like, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Don't you care, Lord? Now this is such a simple matter, but... But how many times do we ask this question of God? Especially when it's not trivial. Don't you care that I'm suffering the way I am? Don't you care about all these people who are going through the hurt and the pain that they're experiencing? Don't you care about me? Don't we ask that too? In the hard times and sometimes in the trivial times when it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, Martha's preparing a meal for the Lord, and she's not getting help for her sister. That's not the most earth-shattering thing. But she says, don't you care, Lord, that I've got to do this by myself? And then she gives a command to Jesus. Tell her to help me. And we do that sometimes too, right? We want to try and give a command to God. We want to tell him what to do. And why do we do that? Because we've kind of made it about us. Martha had made it about herself. I mean, she's preparing for the Lord. She made things about her. And and hear me, I don't believe this, that that was her intention. It it just looks like she's trying to prepare her house, but the priorities got skewed a little bit. The house and the preparations became the higher priority than having Jesus be with her. In the next couple of verses, Jesus gives his, his response to her. He's not mean. He doesn't talk down to her. It looks like a gentle response, pointing out that her priorities weren't quite what was best. And so let's look at verse 41. It says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus starts by saying her name twice, and that shows his affection toward her. And it's a gentle, but it, it's a pretty firm response, too, from Jesus. He says, You're getting worried, you're getting upset about all of these things, but really only a few things are needed, and I honestly, only one. And it's not that Martha wasn't happy that Jesus was coming to her house to spend time with her. It was that since she was coming, she might have been going a little bit overboard in her preparations when truly only a few things would have really been needed. Maybe it's just a simple meal. Maybe you don't straighten everything up. Instead of what, doing what she could to limit the preparations to do the simple things so she could spend more time with Jesus. And, and as we've seen, Jesus has been traveling and he's continuing to travel to Jerusalem. He's on a mission, and, and so he probably wasn't staying real long with anybody at that time anyway. And so it was going to be such a limited time, but her priorities should have been different. And while she prioritized the preparations, Mary prioritized Jesus himself. And Jesus said that a few things are needed or indeed only one. And Mary had chosen what is better. And he wouldn't take that away from her by telling her to help her sister. What Martha was doing, it wasn't bad. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't evil. But it just wasn't what was best. Jesus said that there was only one thing needed. And that was him. And that's what Mary chose. And she is commended for it. And it's really what Martha should have chosen as well. And so, how, how do you see yourself in this passage? I think it's a requirement when you preach on Mary and Martha that you have to ask this question. Like, do you see yourself more as Martha? Or do you see yourself more as Mary. Are you like Martha? Do you fuss over the preparations or you get worried, you get upset as you know, things aren't maybe going the way they're supposed to be or somebody's not pulling their own weight? Are you maybe the more practical one and you think through all the details and perhaps you've set your priorities wrong? Or do you see yourself more like Mary where you know, you're willing to sit at the feet of the teacher? You're not worried about anything else because you know you might not get this opportunity again. How are your priorities set? And how do we, today, as people in the 21st century, really set our priorities properly? The biggest thing, really, I think, is to focus on what Jesus said in the passage to Martha. And so let's look again in verses 41 and 42, just that little part there. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are are needed, or indeed only one. The most important thing for us to remember is that God has to be first and foremost in your decision-making process, in your life. We can so easily get hung up on the little things in life, things that in the end don't really matter all that much. But we're so in the moment that, we, that those are the things we tend to focus on. And, and we get worried about them, we get upset about them, and we make those the priorities in our lives. When we do this, we tend to push other things away. The better things, sometimes. And what Jesus is telling Martha and us today is that, look, those things that you're doing, they're not necessarily bad, but they're not what's best. You don't really need to try and focus on so many things. Just focus on a few and really one. Me. Jesus is to be the center of all our priorities. He should be first above all. Now, is that an easy thing to do? Probably not. It's so much easier to focus on the things that are affecting us every single day, the situations we're in, like, right now, in the present. And honestly, the way Jesus words this, sometimes it makes it sound incredibly hard. I mean, take from Luke 14. He has this large crowd following him, and he turns to them and says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a hard teaching, right? Absolutely it is. He follows this up, though, by saying that if you want to be his disciple, you've got to carry your cross and follow him. The selfishness that you're carrying, out the window. Because it's not about you. It's only about him. It's only about Jesus. The priority Jesus commands you to have is Clear. He is to come before everything. And these are good things. I mean, they're family. And this is where we need to go back to where the discussion Jesus had with the lawyer from earlier in this chapter. We were talking about the, um, the Good Samaritan. The two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And we saw a couple weeks ago who Jesus said was your neighbor, which is basically everybody, including your enemies. But this week, we're seeing the first commandment played out. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. And when you do that, that love is going to be so much. It's comparatively going to look like you hate everything else. But that's not easy. And, And there's a cost to it. And that cost is you. It's your life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, though, like, you're not your own anymore. You're bought with a price that was the precious blood of Jesus in his death on the cross. And so, when you're setting your priorities, when you're making decisions, you've got to have, as a pastor friend of mine said recently, you've got to have God, his character, his word as the foundation to that process. So, remember at the start of today's message, I talked about the Eisenhower Matrix. Think about that when making priorities, but then put God over all of it. That's the easy, the easy formula. It's just God. Then everything else. Let him inform those decisions. But to be able to do this well, you've got to know who God is. You've got to know his character. You've got to know his word. That's where diving into God's word daily to study it and read it and to know him better is important. That's why coming here to church and and singing his praises and hearing sermons based on his scriptures. That's why praying all the time, being in constant communication with God is important. And then you'll be able to discern his will. As Paul writes in Romans twelve two, where you don't conform to the pattern of this world. Because the pattern of this world, especially when it comes to like, your priorities, it's skewed. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know his will by studying his word, by, by communicating with him, by doing all of these things. And the Holy Spirit will help with this. He will come alongside you and and continue to help grow you into the likeness of Jesus. And this process where you're making these decisions, that's going to start to become easier over time. You're going to start to prioritize areas of your life based on how God wants you to. You're going to focus on the things that will help to continue to grow his kingdom on earth. And to help introduce others to him and to make disciples. And by the way, that does not mean that your family is not a big part of that. They will always be one of the most important priorities in your life following Jesus. And your first ministry is to your family. I don't know how many times I heard that in seminary over the last four years or whatever it's been now. We hear it a lot as pastors. It's like your first ministry is to your family your first ministry is to your families as well. You've got to know that too. Ultimately, Jesus has to be Lord of your priorities. If he is to be Lord of all, if he's Lord over everything in your life, then how you prioritize things needs to fall under his authority as well. Sometimes that means that you're going to have to say no to some good things but it's only because there's something better. You're saying no to something good so you can choose what is better. And and what's best is the one thing that's needed. And that's Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. Let that be how you make your priorities. Let him be Lord of your priorities. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are just, I mean, you're simply amazing, and it's just unbelievable that you have loved us since before we were even born, and it's through that love, through your Grace and mercy that we are able to come to you today, that we are able to follow you well, and and that we are adopted into your family, Lord. That you have called us your sons and daughters. And as that, I, I just pray that you know. Sometimes this is it's hard for us to be able to look past our, our current situations and, and to try and think godly on everything and and. I just pray that you would help us, if we are struggling with that, that you would help us to be able to do that well. Help us to see what you say is best. Help us to live that way. We know that we're able to come to you today, Lord, because of your son and what he did on the cross. He tore the veil that separated You and us. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help us to set our priorities the way that you would have us set them. Help lead us in that. Help it get easier over time. Help us just live and walk in your way, Lord. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.